Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of life, and we pray that you would bless us as we study Jeremiah 32 today. We pray that you'd bless our listening and our speaking, our learning and our obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. King Zedekiah of Judah shall not escape out of the hands of the Chaldeans, but shall be surely given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I attend to him, says the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, and I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. In their presence, I charged Barak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You showed signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all humankind and have made yourself a name that continues to this very day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their ancestors to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey and they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or follow your law. Of all you commanded them to do, they did nothing. Therefore you have made all these disasters come upon them. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. See, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of King Nebuchadrezzar of Babylon, and he shall take it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come, set it on fire, 
and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and libations have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the people of Israel and the people of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, says the Lord. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is being given into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. See, I am going to gather them from all the lands to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me for all time for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them never to draw back from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good fortune that I now promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying, it is a desolation without human beings or animals. It has been given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin and the places around Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, of the hill country, of the Shephelah and of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, says the Lord. All right. So as we go to discuss Jeremiah 32, we find ourselves in the 10th year of King Zedekiah. And that's where our passage begins. And just to remind people of where we are in history, there were two Babylonian conquests. The first was in 597 BC during the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. And at this time, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem and, and captured it. And this marked the beginning of the Babylonian exile, in which case a significant portion of the Jewish population was deported. But not everyone was deported, and Zedekiah stayed behind, you know, in a sense, at least from Babylon's vantage point, as somewhat of a puppet king in Judah. But there was some expectation without knowing the full history behind it that uh, Zedekiah and uh, the kingdom of Judah would somehow be loyal to Babylon, maybe pay some taxes or, you know, whatever the arrangement was. I'm not quite sure, but there was um, uh, some allowance for them to remain in the land and to continue to do their Jewish thing. But there had to have been some expectation from Nebuchadnezzar that King Zedekiah, you know, give up something. And King Zedekiah didn't really want to do that. Uh, and I just say that because eventually Zedekiah rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they utterly destroy Jerusalem and they utterly destroy the temple. And we're going to actually 
study that particular passage, if not next week, then the week after. And so this passage starts in the 10th year of King Zedekiah, which is really like his final year, his final months. That's where we are in Zedekiah's reign. It's about a year prior to the second and final exile, as well as the fall of Jerusalem. And we find Jeremiah confined in the court of the guard in Zedekiah's palace. And so I'm not quite sure exactly how it worked, but, you know, the king probably had a large palace and it was some sort of complex where wayward prophets and troublemakers could be put in jail. And Jeremiah is once again in trouble with the authorities because he is prophesying against Zedekiah. And we see in verse three, Zedekiah asks him, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, I'm going to give this city into the hand of Babylon? Because the, the whole job of a prophet, I mean, obviously the job of a prophet is to speak God's word, but what usually happened is that the prophets would proclaim disaster on Israel's enemies, and then they'd say some word like, oh, king, live forever. They'd flatter the king, and they'd tell the king that, um, you know, everything's going to be just fine. But Jeremiah's consistent message is everything is not fine. In fact, it's the opposite of fine. Babylon's coming. Get ready. Um, don't resist. We've been unfaithful to the covenant, and therefore the disasters of covenant disobedience will come upon us. Um, and what Jeremiah tells Zedekiah is that, you know, you can fight all you want, verse 5, but you shall not succeed. And so Jeremiah tells Zedekiah the Babylonians are coming, and that's why he's in prison. But while he's in prison, this really funny thing happens. His cousin Hanamel comes to him while he is in prison and tells him to buy his land. Uh, land that Jeremiah has just prophesied is going to be destroyed, or at least taken over by the Babylonians. And so, hey, it's just funny if you're in prison for someone to come to you and to ask you to buy their house or their property. That's just a funny thing. But if you know this property is going to be worthless the next day because the Babylonians are going to take over, that's also a funny proposition. I mean, imagine if we're, you know, out on my boat. I don't have a boat, but let's imagine I did. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a big hole in it and, and water is getting into the boat. And we're not going to be able to uh, repair the boat. And the boat is sinking. And then I go to you and say, hey, do you want to buy my boat? Who among you would ever invest in a sinking boat? But in a sense, what Jeremiah is doing is buying that boat. The Lord says, I want you to buy this sinking boat. I want you to buy this field that is about to be, frankly, the possession of the Babylonians. And so what exactly is happening here? So what I would say is that Jeremiah is not investing in a field. What Jeremiah is investing in ultimately is the word of the Lord, 
which says that a time will come when this field does belong to Israel. A time will come when this field bears fruit. I'm going to give this field back to you after your time of exile has come into, you know, has come to an end. Because what God has told uh, the Judeans is that uh, it's 70 years. That's how long you're going to be in Babylon. And so what Jeremiah is investing in here is in his confidence in God's promise. And I think the fact that, you know, he buys his field from his cousin adds a, a personal dimension to this symbolic act, emphasizing the importance of uh, heritage and family ties, which were very important in the context of God's covenant people. But again, ultimately, what Jeremiah is expressing hope in is his confidence in resurrection. And the the question that I think hovers over Jeremiah 32 repeats itself several times, which is, is anything too hard for the Lord? We find that question repeated. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And it's a question that actually um, uh, is similar to the one that God asked Abram whenever uh, at the age of 99 and when Sarah was 100, that uh, God told Abram he would have a son. And because both of them were past their childbearing years, uh, Abraham laughed at God, and, and thus the child's name was Isaac, which means laughter. But what God said to Abram was, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? You know, that's a question that God asks in Genesis. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And in a sense, this question, is anything too hard for the Lord, is just a different take on that same question. Is there anything God can't do? God's going to give you back this field. And so what Jeremiah does symbolically is buy it before it's taken away because he's confident that God's going to restore his fortunes. And so I guess, what does it mean for us, metaphorically speaking, to invest in a field uh, that we know is going to be taken away because we trust that God's power to resurrect is so great? That's kind of a creative question for us to talk through. But what does God say in verse 15? Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Houses, fields, vineyards, they will again be bought in this land. What Jeremiah is doing is expressing his confidence that this is true before Babylon, Babylon sweeps in and destroys the city. Why? Verse um, 17 because nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. It kind of sounds like, you know, one of those uh, vacation Bible camp slogans we have the kids memorize, but sometimes it's good for us to memorize those slogans. Nothing is too hard for God. And so think about something in your life that's impossible, something in your life that's never going to happen, something that's not working. It might not work again until the resurrection. We do believe in resurrection, but there is nothing too hard for God. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Right? That question is in the backdrop of Jeremiah 32. But 
before fields are bought again in this land, those fields will be taken away. The temple will be taken away. Uh, because what does it say in verse 23? Um, God gave the people the land. They took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or follow your law. All you commanded them to do, they did none of that. Therefore, you have made all these disasters come upon them. And so this is a reminder that the reason Babylon is coming, that somehow it's tied to the people's inability or unwillingness to be faithful to the covenant. So whenever we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, you know, God is very clear. Today I lay before you life and death. Choose life. You know, choose faithfulness to the covenant, because if you don't, there will be consequences. And, you know, this is kind of, th there are many ways we can understand this. We don't want to understand God as arbitrarily punishing the people the way sinful humans arbitrarily punish people. But there are consequences for not being faithful to God's covenant even today. You know, God says that the, you know, the, the universe is a particular way. Um, and so whenever we act with hatred, not love, when we act with selfishness, not service, when we act with greed and not generosity, God does not spare us from the consequences of those choices, whether it's ruined relationships or um, depression or, or, or whatever it is, right? There are always consequences for the choices we make. As Paul says in Galatians, you reap whatever you sow. And so exactly how we understand that with the people going into exile is a more complex matter. But the people understand their exile, or Jeremiah is trying to get them to understand their exile as the fruit of their choice to disobey God. And he's trying to cast a vision at the same time that God is going to restore them. And so that's really the dance that's happening in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah really wants Zedekiah and the people to both repent and to have hope, to acknowledge their sinfulness, to acknowledge their disobedience, and to trust that fields will again be bought in this land. That's why Jeremiah buys a field from his cousin, right? Our punishment, our consequences are temporary not eternal. And that hope ultimately is reiterated in verse 39 when God says, I'm going to give my people one heart and one way. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And, and so now God is speaking of a different covenant. God is speaking of an everlasting covenant where God writes, you know, as Paul says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh the flesh being our hearts. God says, I'll put the fear of me in their hearts, right? So the fear of God is placed in our heart. And to be clear, this is not a, a fear that one might feel um, in the face of a tyrant. Uh, it's not a fear that cancels out what the Bible says in 1 John. In 1 John, it says, there is no fear in love for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. And so it's not the fear of punishment. It's not the fear that we're going to get in trouble. It's more like the holy fear of being in the presence of holiness, 
a, a fear that makes us want to align our life with that which is good and true and beautiful. And God is pointing to a day when a new covenant will come into being, in which case people will actually want to love God in a different way. And of course, we won't get too much into the New Testament, but you know, the night before he died, when Jesus drinks the wine and eats the bread and says, this is, you know, this blood is of a new covenant. You know, whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. Jesus understood what he was doing as ushering in this everlasting covenant that's spoken of in Jeremiah 32, verse 40. But there's really a battle taking place within God that gets exposed in Jeremiah 32. There's a tension, maybe not a battle, but there's a tension between God's anger and God's compassion and desire to have mercy. A tension between God allowing his people to experience the consequences of disobeying the covenant and then also saving them from those consequences. There's a tension between God sticking with the original deal with the Sinai covenant and then saying, I'm going to bring in a new and everlasting covenant. There's a tension between, um, you know, God speaking of a great disaster and God speaking of restoring his people's fortunes. And, and all those tensions are kind of being worked out in Jeremiah 32. It's like this funny symphony of both bad news and good news of punishment and salvation. And that's kind of pretty standard, I think, for uh, the prophetic writings. But as we go into conversation, if any question is going to guide how we interpret Jeremiah 32, I think it has to be the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because ultimately, in the midst of all this bad news, in the midst of Jeremiah being really clear that Babylon's coming, you know, they're going to burn the temple down. They're going to burn your house down. You know, you've really angered them. You've rebelled against them. And in rebelling against them, you've rebelled against God, right? Because remember what God said in Jeremiah 29, go to Babylon, seek the welfare of that city, right? And their welfare, you'll find your own welfare, you know, plant vineyards and, and have children. You're going for 70 years. So go into exile and be a light to the nations in the midst of your exile. Zedekiah wants none of that. Zedekiah is very interested in being the king of Judah and not really messing with Babylon. And so Jeremiah says, well, then Babylon's coming and it's going to be really, really bad and things are going to get ugly and God's going to restore my people's fortunes. And so this tension between bad news, good news, things are going to get ugly, but is anything too wonderful for the Lord? That really seems to be the, the tension that we are invited into in Jeremiah 32.